an email the other day about a preacher's kid and two other kids in the congregation talking about how great their dads were and how they made money. And one kid says, you know, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and sends it to the newspaper. They give him $50 because he wrote a poem. The other kid said, that ain't nothing, man. He said, my dad writes out some words on some paper and he sends that thing in and they give him $100 for writing a song. Preacher's kids, you guys ain't got anywhere close to my dad. He sits down in 30 minutes, writes some stuff up, gets up and preaches that message and it takes eight guys to collect the money. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's get back into this business of the glory of God. Where we're at right now, basically in this study as far as I can tell from what the Lord's given me light about, was it starts out with his glory, why he does what he does, how he benefits in doing things for us and creating us, why we exist to start with. And then he moved further on into that. And he said, the reason you haven't ever got it before was because of this, you're focused on yourself. And now we're going to start moving into how to keep that from happening to you. Because for a long time, my attention was strictly on him all day, every day, and it was natural. Of late, it's been an effort. Why? Because I get thinking about myself, what's going to happen to me, how I'm going to fix this problem, what I need to do about it. I mean, you know, even as late as late last night, found a water leak in the house, didn't even know it was there, you know. So how in the world is this stuff getting in here? Lord, let it get in there. You say you believe that? You better believe I believe it. <laughs> you know why he did it? Partly because of this stuff right here, because it ties directly into God doing something in our lives. Our problem is that we don't see his hand in it. We think it's something else that caused it, and we got to go get him to fix it. That's what we think. Anyway, let's go back just real, real briefly. Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 26. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. You got that? You got that first part of that verse? <laughs> Hearing and doing. That's right. Verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now back over to Revelation where we stopped prematurely last week. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, 13 to 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, he says that over and over and over in that passage. And whether you believe it or not, we're one of these churches in there. He's not just talking to those churches and after those churches move on or that city dies off or whatever, then everybody else is exempt. How do you know that? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And this is part of it. So he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. You know what the Laodiceans attention's on, their focus is on? It's on themselves. You know what else it's on? It's on what they've been doing. It's on their works. Why? They have works. 
but their attention is still focused on themselves. Now, you look at those things, and you consider momentarily back to Matthew 7. Is that church built on a rock or on the sand? Why? Because we haven't been listening and then acting on what we've been told. That's exactly why. Now, I still believe and I'm absolutely convinced that is us. The last church listed, in the last days perilous times shall come. We covered all of that in the last few weeks. Knowledge shall be increased. The fig tree budeth forth. If that's true, then it happened in 48, you know, if those things are connected together. But I can tell you this, you talk to people, you say you think you're living in the last days, and you know what lost people say? They say yes. Why? You know not the day nor the hour, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. What's that mean? You know you're living in the last days. You may not like to think about that, but that's a fact. But anyway, you know you're living in the last days. Well, if we're living in the last days, and that's the last church listed, and he says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now, let's see if we can gather something from this. Our problem as Laodicean church is we don't understand some of the things that I've been talking about here recently about the glory of God because we are in the way. It is us first. You know why children don't understand their parents when the parents are trying to explain stuff to them? You were a kid once. You grew up and you had your own kids. Some of you got grandkids. You know what's going on. What's going on is that kid is thinking all about themselves and they don't hear a word their parents say and they don't understand them. Why? Because I'm focused on me. I'm not focused on you and trying to understand what all this is about. You say, well, whose house is this? What's well, yours, mom, dad? Whose world is this? Who do we belong to? And we respond just about the same way with those comments that a kid says, well, what's your house, dad? There's no connection between what he said and himself. He doesn't understand that that house and everything that was there and all the food and all the clothes and the bedrooms and electricity being paid for by daddy and worked for by mommy and the rest of those things and why they love them and what you're doing there to start with. That kid, all he's concerned with the whole time is what else can I get? How can I get it? And is it worth the punishment? Can I get away with it? Isn't that strange? You don't ever have to teach a kid to do wrong. That's amazing to me. You'd think somebody would have to come along and influence them. You know that? Anyway, moving along here. If you started asking today's Christians about salvation and about God, you'd watch the conversation almost immediately turn to their church and what they're doing. In fact, some of you, if somebody walked up to you and started talking to you about God and salvation, your attention had turned back to this church and all the stuff that's happening in your church. You know why? Because your attention's on the works. I tested that theory yesterday, brother. It's exactly like I just said. <laughs> why do you think he tells them, I know thy works? Because it's all about the works. That church who is saved by the blood, washed in the blood, bought with a price, is all about the works. It ain't about the one that created them and then asked his son to die for them and then redeemed them and adopted them and is preparing a place in his house. It's not about him. It's about us. How come? 
because we're just self-serving. In the last days, men should be lovers of their own selves, and that doesn't stop with lost people. It continues right on through. You talk to a preacher. You say, well, preacher, how are things going with you and God? How are you getting along? Great. We've grown by this much. We've had this many saved. We've had this many baptized. Our missions program has grown this much. We're building new buildings. Our income is up. Man, everything is fantastic. We even got TV ministry and radio ministry and cassette ministries. You wouldn't believe it, but we're actually assembling scriptures. That's exactly where they go. Brother Mark knows. He talks to them all the time. Missionaries and the rest of them, it's all the same kind of stuff. You start talking to a church member, it works the same way. It goes back to how good our church is. Or if you've been offended by somebody in your church, how bad it is and what kind of idiots you've got in your church and wish God would kill them. I prayed God would kill them rats. Then I got sick and made me worry. <laughs> it says, cast out the scorner in the strifeful seas. That's what's wrong with our church. We've got to kick them out. Church them, man. You want to know what's wrong with your church? Your church is focused on yourselves and what you're doing. It's not focused on the one that made everything for his benefit. That's why. It all gets right back down to us. Are you saying we shouldn't be doing all this? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing it. But our motive sure needs to change or you're building your house on sand. That's what I'm saying. You need to start investigating what's going on in your life between you and God. And if what I'm telling you is true, the first thing to do is start praying, God, I want to understand you more. I want to know you better. If he created this stuff you're looking at for his benefit, then how does he benefit from you? Oh, look at everything I do. I know thy works. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And we know those things are true. We don't connect them back together. And the biggest reason why is because we don't want that to be true. We don't want it to be us. We want it to be all those other backslidden churches out there that have become liberalized, you know, and quit preaching salvation and quit preaching on hell. It's got to be them. No, it doesn't. No more than it has to be the Catholics or somebody else. It's us. We fit this stuff. I can say that about myself most clearly. I know me well enough to know how much my attention's focused on myself. If you try to discuss the glory of God or how God desires to benefit by his creation, they turn it back into work or church members, good or bad. That's exactly what they do. They start staring at you like, what are you talking about? Huh? In fact, some of them get to the point where they say, well, you've kind of lowered your standards, haven't you? Well, you're preaching against everything we're doing. No, I'm not. I'm preaching against the reason you do it. That makes a big difference. God doesn't care near as much about what you do as why you do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, God, look at all the works we did for you. You still make me sick. With all we've done, in thy name we've cast out devils. In thy name we led souls to thee. In thy name we ran buses. In thy name we gave offerings. You make me sick. How come? Because it's why you do it. It's still not about him. It's about us. You say, well, can't you fix the problem? You're the only one that can fix the problem because God is not going to go against your will to get what he wants. 
He will not do that. Your will to him, quote unquote, and sounded sacrilegious, but is the most sacred thing to him on this earth is your will. He will not violate your will. Why? Because that's what he's determining. He says, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You know why you come? You come because you want to. If you love me, keep my commandments. You don't think God could make you keep his commandments if he wanted to? You know what he has to do to do that? He has to violate your will. And he's not going to do it. You know what he wants? He wants you to love him back because you choose to. He wants you to appreciate him because you choose to. One of the major things that's been left out of our education is exalting God. I didn't have this in my notes, but let's go back here for a second. Psalms 145. 145.4. You want to know what's wrong? Here's what's wrong. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Psalms 145.4. You think that's what's been going on? Do you honestly think that? One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Man, when I got saved, they were running a bus ministry and if you had a hundred on your bus, they give you a red jacket. I got me a red jacket. I wore that thing proudly. That is not his works. It is not his mighty acts. It's all about me. Recognize me. Here I am. Look what I'm doing. Let's pat everybody on the back. This thing has become so secular, you can apply the church standards and the church operation to any business on this planet where they recognize each other and they promote each other and they hype each other up and they want to make everybody feel good and they want to have motivational speakers. So when you go out, you're feeling better about it and want to go out there and take the city for God. Without me, you can do nothing. What about that? You have any idea how much these buses cost that we're running? We had a $50,000 a year bus ministry back in the early, early 70s. They talked about that a lot. Why? Focuses on the works. Focuses on, look what we're doing. I want to be involved in that church. How come? Look at all they're doing. It's built on sand. You say, well, is all that stuff going to go to waste? No, it isn't going to go to waste. There's souls being saved. They really are. I got saved in that church. You think the Laodicean church is worthless? No, it's bought with a price. He expects to get what he paid for. The problem is that we're focused on ourselves, not where it should be. That's why we don't have that perfect peace because our mind is not stayed on thee. Our mind is stayed on ourselves. It's like a tool in a toolbox bragging on all the work that it did to another tool. That's exactly what it's like. Without me, you can do nothing. The tool can do nothing in and of itself. But it don't stop the tools from bragging on what they got accomplished, does it? You know that's true. You know you have taken comfort in looking back at the things that you've done for the Lord. Things start going bad immediately. Your attention starts turning. Well, if I live right, if I quit doing this, God will do this for me. God, I've been living righteous. I've been trying to do everything you want me to do. It's not fair you do this to me. What do you put up in front of God to justify yourself? All your stuff. 
That's sad. That is so sad. And you know why we do it? Because nobody's declaring his mighty works. Nobody's talking about his mighty acts and his wonderful works. He who set the stars up there, man, and made the sun and keeps that whole thing running. Without him was nothing made that was made. Including what? Without him was nothing made that was made. Brother Selden's Model A and his huckster, man. He said, down to that level? No, beyond that level. Out into your imagination, things you don't even know exist. That's who our father is. Now, if they'd have been bragging on him this whole time, your attention would have been turned toward him more and off yourselves. You know what Eve's problem was when she ate that fruit? She was thinking about self. Satan's problem, thinking about self. Now, you can go back and you start pressing the issue with some of these Christians. This gets really wild. Luke 17, 7 to 10. We'll run through a few of these things. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, then is come from the field, go sit down and meet. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me until I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. That's old English for I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants and have done that which was our duty to do. Have you ever heard a preacher or a Christian say that? I've never heard it. Now, I did hear an illustration about a girl one time that was so spiritual. Another preacher that I knew real well was sitting beside her at a Christian camp. And they gave out a point grading system where you graded yourself on your spiritual level. And what they did was they gave you one point for reading your Bible every day and two points if you read more than a page and a point for witnessing and a point for passing out tracts and a point for regular attendance and a point for offering and a point for working on the bus ministry and all the rest of the stuff. And they gave this point schedule and they went down the list. And when they got all the way to the end, that preacher was sitting next to this girl and he had his written all down, you know, and he says, okay, now add those up. And if your score is between this and this and this and this and this and this, and he turned to this little girl and he said, what did you get? And she looked back at him and she said, oh, Dr. So-and-so, I couldn't give myself anything. That was the most spiritual kid he said he'd ever met in his life. And he looked back at his paper and he went, you know why, don't you? Because her attitude and her attention was not on herself. You know what her attitude was? Right there. That's the only time I think in my 34 years of salvation, I've ever had anybody get close to that right there. You know why we don't think like that? Because we don't think enough of him. And the reason we don't think enough of him is because nobody's been bragging on him like they should be. John 15. John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And you know what the Laodicean church does? They point at their works and say, see there, we're spiritual. There's a verse over in the Bible that talks about people supposing that gain is godliness. 
Wouldn't that be wild when you find out that fruit that God's talking about goes back to him and his creation's appreciation of the one who made everything and does everything outside of making the decisions about little things in your life. Without me, you can do. Can I stand here? Can I speak? Can I breathe? What can I do without him? So what have I ever done? The only thing that you can say you ever did was you chose him. And when you did, you chose him over yourself. You know that? That was the decision you made at the time. You chose him over what you wanted. That's one of the reasons salvation is so tough because it's not just a matter of a logical decision of, oh, well, that makes more sense. That's more beneficial there. When you get down on your face and you repent of who you are and that you're a sinner and you're going to end up in hell because of yourself, that's when you get saved. You don't get saved by saying, oh, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. I thank you that you've given me all of this. You're preparing a place for me and you're coming after me. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't get saved that way. Man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And you're not believing unto righteousness until you see yourself as a lost sinner. And when you see yourself as a lost sinner, that moment, your attention is off of you and on him and what he did. You are in need. Guess what? We're in need every day of our life. It wasn't just when we got saved. It goes beyond that. Isaiah 42 We'll wrap up over here in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5 to 12. Now listen to this. I'm not going to have time to get into it much. I just have time to read it barely. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit unto them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out of the prisons from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. What are you going to do about that? Say, look at all that our hands have accomplished. God, in thy name, we've cast out devils. In thy name, we've done what? Wait a minute. Without me, you can do nothing. Who did it? Christians are the worst people on the earth for taking God's glory away from him. Why? Because he's not as important as we are. Now back over to Isaiah 48. 48, 6 to 11. Thou hast heard, see these things, and will not ye declare it. I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. They are created now, not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not. Lest thou shouldest say, Behold, I knew them. Yea, thou heardest not. Yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from that time that thine ear was not opened. For I knew that thou wouldest deal very treacherously and was called transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger and for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. 
Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake, even for mine own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. So what's he saying there? Oh, he's talking to the Jews in those places. He can't be talking to me. <laughs> Sorry. All scripture is still given by inspiration of God. is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know what I read in that? For 33 years, I didn't understand the stuff I'm talking about now. Right over my head. My prayers were about myself. My attention to God's work was about myself. My concern was that God was going to get even with me if I messed up. When things would start going bad, I'd start promising God anything he wanted, just as long as he answered my prayers. You see how insane that is? Shall man strive with his maker? And yet we do it constantly. We try to make deals with him. We try to show him things. We try to talk him into stuff. That's not why he made us. He made us for one specific reason. To fellowship with him of our own free will. If we ever get any of this stuff, it's going to be because God gives us a little bit of light and then we act on it. Hear the word and then become doers of it. If we're ever going to get it. You say, well, I thought you'd get it. <laughs> I only get it part of the time. <laughs> I still don't understand God. I don't know him near as well as I'd like to know him. Brother Mark says, you pray that I'll know and understand God better last week. That's what you pray for yourself, too. How would it be to actually understand God's workings in your life? We're going to look next week real closely at Peter walking on the water in that ship and actually take that thing apart. But instead of responding when things happen in our life out of fear and worry and get on our face and start begging God to fix the problem, we'd be able to move forward in life and say, okay, God, you got it. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. When? When things are going fine? No, when things are going catastrophic in your life. That's when you need that. You don't need peace when you're asleep. You need peace in the midst of problems. And that perfect peace comes through knowing who he is and that he's got it, including the numbers of hairs on your head. Let's pray.